This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Philadelphia! You talking about practice. World champions! Next question. Hey everybody, welcome to Take Off with John Clark. I am John Clark, and we've got a special guest here. This is Michael Blackson, and I'll tell you what, 2021 is the coming out party once again. We're all hopefully going to be allowed out, and Michael, right now you're in Coming to America, which is on Amazon Prime, and you're coming to Philly at Helium Comedy Club. How good does it feel to get back out there? Uh, it feels great, man. Great to be back out there. You know, when this pandemic started, you know, first we thought it'd be over in a couple of weeks, then we thought it'd be over in a month. And then when it started going to three, four months, I thought comedy was over. I got really nervous about, you know, live entertainment with involving audience and people. And I was trying to figure out plan B, you know. Um, but fortunately, you know, late, late July of last year, uh, the comedy clubs opened up a little bit. They were allowing like 25 to maybe 50% of the audience back in. In certain states, not every state. I mean, California, where I live right now, nothing has been open. We haven't, comedians have not been on stage in over a year. They're, you know, local guys. And fortunately, other states like um, Texas and Florida and Ohio uh, and Georgia, those guys opened up pretty much late last summer and it was able to go back out so but it's coming to america is great it's a wonderful movie um so wonderful to be part of that and of course next weekend i'll be home get to perform in the city that raised me so uh, i'm i don't know which one you want to talk about first you want to talk about coming to america we'll talk about coming to perform in philly i'll tell you what i'll okay. tell you what we're going to get into all that in a second but i first want to talk to you about being a big philly sports fan and you're watching the sixers this year they are right. atop the Eastern Conference as we tape this. So how excited are you watching the Sixers this year? And do you think that they have a chance to win it all? Oh, yeah, definitely. So excited about them. I mean, with a healthy Embiid and a healthy Ben Simmons, you know, Tobias has really stepped it up. You know, I know in the past, from day one when they picked them up, uh, not even from day one, from the, from the time they gave them the big contract, you know, a lot of fans felt disappointed, you know, but he has really stepped it up this year. I think those three together, as long as they're healthy, we will definitely take it all the way. You know, I mean, look, we beat a lot of the good teams already. We beat the Lakers. I'm not sure we beat the Lakers. with the, was, was Anthony Davis playing when we beat the Lakers? Uh, great question. I have to double check. Yes, I'll find yes out. he was. But we beat, we beat, as we beat the Lakers, we were the champs. Uh, and I was there in person um, last week when I witnessed them come from behind to be the best team in the league right now. So I think the sky's, limit, the sky's the limit for these guys. As long as they're healthy and playing, playing together like they are right now, they definitely have a chance of going all the way to the finals. I mean, look what Miami did. We expected that from Miami last year. 
And when you think about Miami Heat, all I think about is Jimmy Butler. And this is a guy that we had in our core. We had him. And, you know, it just took Jimmy Butler, just him alone, took the whole team to the finals. We got three great players and a great bunch of supporting cast. I think there's no question. And I think they have built the chemistry. These guys have already built the chemistry. A lot of times it's about building chemistry. I think those guys have built the chemistry together in the past three years. And I think they're definitely ready to take the next level. How much have you seen Joel grow his game even more this year and also Ben Simmons? Uh, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed with Joel. Uh, I mean, when the season started, even towards last season, he looked overweight to me completely. I'm like, this guy looks overweight. He's a little slow. And, I mean, I guess during the offseason, he went to the gym, and he really put his mind to winning. You could tell he's – he said himself, you know, in 2021, I'm going to do what I need to do to get my team to where they need to be. And I noticed this year he's, he's in shape. He's faster. He's, he's shooting threes. He's doing it all, man. I'm so impressed, impressed with him. And, of course, Ben as well. He's definitely matured a lot. Uh, I mean, he's shooting much better. I know the fans, we all complain about his, his shooting skills. And he got better. So I think those guys have finally decided to come together as a team. I think it's all, it's all about team, team effort, teamwork. You know, they, 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 um, I think they've definitely stepped it up and they're ready to get to the next level. They're ready, ready for the championship. Now, I've seen you in pictures. You've gone to Eagles games with Ben Simmons and you've hung out with Ben Simmons. And I think some people in Philadelphia haven't understood Ben. And, and I'm not saying he's shy, but maybe he didn't want to let a lot of people in. Do you think he's more comfortable this year and a little more open? Oh, definitely. I mean, he, you know, he might be a shy kid in person, but when he gets on that basketball court, you know, it's a whole different story. It kind of reminds me of myself, you know. When people are around me, I'm usually real quiet and calm. And when I get on stage, it's like, oh, you just said the same person. You know, when I get on stage, different world because that stage is where I perform is you know you're, you're, you become an entertainer and that's what sports is at the end of the day is entertainment and it's just going out there and giving your best entertainment that you get so give him the best that you could and you know I've hung, like I said I've hung around him he's, he's similar shy but like that's just his personality but I think when he gets on that stage when he gets on that court it's a whole different bend all right I agree with you but here's one thing because when I see him pregame shooting the three, it looks beautiful now. He's got a beautiful shot now, but he doesn't want to shoot in the games. And you talk about, hey, when he's on court, he's a different person. Do you think there's a mental block or is it confidence about shooting in games? Um, you know what? I, I, did, I haven't watched a lot of these um, no fans in a stadium games because I live, I live here in California and I'm not, I don't have a chance to see the local teams play. You know, so usually I would catch highlights and I would go on ESPN.com and look at the final scores. And, I, you know, and I've been rooting for them. I haven't got the chance to see him play a lot. So I've, I've really missed a lot of what you're talking about as far as, you know, when he's in a court, when he's playing the game, he's, is he afraid to shoot the three? Because that's not, his, that's not his, I guess shooting the three is not his, his best, it's not the best part of his game. His best part of his game is, you know, more of layup and dunking and rebounding. Um, and I think... He's just a step away from a complete superstar, you know. And I think once he, he has to build confidence in himself to shoot that three, you know, and I, it was, I guess it was stuff in the free throw line, you know. So once he started making those free throws, and I, 
And I'm very, I'm very sure this is a year where he's going to really build that confidence to make it happen. I think we need the fans in there. Once the fans go in the stadiums, you know, I think he will build that confidence to shoot that ball. How about you? Uh, you said you came to Philly to see the Sixers beat the Utah Jazz. What a great win that was. How important was it for you to see them in person again? And what was it like being back? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, there was no fans. You know, luckily, fortunately for me, I'm very good friends with uh, Mike Rubin, um, you know, uh, the part owner of the Sixers, my minority owner of the Sixers. And he made it happen for me. I had to, took a COVID test and got into the building. And, you know, I'm very good friends with, with Rudy Gobert. Actually, Rudy's a very good friend of mine. Uh, and, of course, the Sixers is my, is, is my heart. So it was really great to go and see, see them play. And I watched the game, and, I mean, I saw Ben. Ben give everything he could get. MB did it all. And these guys were still down. They were down throughout the whole game. And to make that comeback, you know, when they were down by 10, 11 points, you know, to make a comeback like that against a wonderful team, it just shows maturity and, and, and team effort. I think that's all came with a team effort and, and having confidence in each other to, to win that game. That game was amazing. That was a championship-type game they did last, right before the All-Star break. All right. Well, I'm going to look forward to seeing you in the arena for the finals when all the fans are allowed to be back. So that's going to be uh, great. Definitely, man. Be so excited. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey, so you're in Coming to America right now on Amazon yes. Prime, and I, I kind of think that could be the title for your life as well. You came over from Ghana to Philly, right, when you were 13. 13 years old, came, actually, I, uh, I can't be from Liberia. Uh, Liberia is where most, I spent most of my African life, was in Liberia. I came to Liberia, I came from Liberia at 13, spent the first two years in Jersey, in Newark, New Jersey. And then moved to Philly, and Philly became my life, man. Uh, Philly was probably the best thing that happened to, to my family. You know, my mother, you know, she came here with me and, um, and two of my younger sisters. And when we came to, when we got to Newark, it was uh, late 80s. Uh, things were really bad. You know, Jersey was, was very tough for us. She couldn't barely get a job. You know, um, everything was much expensive in New Jersey. Like, I mean, I remember a three-bedroom back then was over a thousand dollars back then in the eighties, or close to a thousand dollars. My mother was probably making about three hundred dollars a week at that time, and she had a few friends in Philly, a few other Liberian friends that said, "Hey, um, you know, Philadelphia is not that bad. Can we give it a try?" And we came to Philly, uh, found a three-bedroom row house in Southwest for three hundred dollars a month. I never forget, right at like fifty. The address is at 55th and like King Sesson Avenue, right in the area. It's a little block called Regent Street, right there. And that's why I, you know, grew up there. When it's Bartram High, uh, I came, by the time I got to Philly, it was 11th grade. So I spent 11th and 12th grade in Philly. And from that, I just 
you know, I had a job when I got out of, um, I had a job throughout 11th to 12th grade at Domino's Pizza right on South Street. I was delivering pizzas on a bike. Uh, Did you have to do for, the 30 minutes or less? Oh, yeah, 30 minutes or less. Oh, it was free, man. Oh, my goodness. So the thing about, the thing about delivering a bike, you know, I had no license. I had no car. So it was the best thing for me. And it was the easiest thing because delivering a bike, you don't really have to stop at the lights. You have to follow the street rules. So you get to, you can deliver a pizza within five, 10 minutes, you know, because we had like a two, three mile radius of where we delivered to. And I would deliver a pizza within 15, told about from the time they put place the order in, they would get that pizza within 15 to 20 minutes. It's almost like you an know, Olympic sport, right? Pretty much. <laughs> she put that in there. Delivering pizza is an Olympic sport on a bike. <laughs> but now, but I did it. And then I remember um, when I got out of high school, uh, couldn't afford to go to college. And my mother needed help paying rent and paying, helping with the bills and also helping my family back home. So I had to keep working. I ended up being a manager of a Domino's Pizza at about 19 years old. And I remember I used to, I hired this one guy uh, he went on a part-time job. He was a full-time teaching, um, acting teacher at Philadelphia Community College. This guy named Kevin London. So I hired Kevin London. He wanted to be a part-time delivery guy. And when he came to Domino's, he thought he, he just thought I was funny. He said, Mike, you're funny. I'm, I'm like my 19, 20 years old at this time. He said, you're funny, man. You should go to open mic. Let me help you get a five-minute routine and go to open mic. And that's how I started. I remember my first open mic was... Uh, the comedy club was called Comedy Works. It was a second and chestnut. I don't think it exists anymore. So we used to have Wednesday night was open mic at Comedy Works. And then Monday nights was uh, open mic at the, um, the Funny Bone, which ended up being Catch a Rising Star and became Philadelphia Lab House. And that's where my comedy career started. And here we are 25 years later, man. I'm in the movie that I, that I watched as a kid when I first came to America which I thought was the funniest movie, my number one top funny movie of all time. Eddie Murphy, my favorite comedian actor of all time. And I got a chance to just work with this guy, which is a dream come true. How amazing is that? And, and how did it come to be that you got into coming to America? Did Eddie reach out to you? Well, when I was on set shooting a movie, you know, Eddie in a senior hall approached me and said, hey, listen, this particular part, we know it's a small part, but when we wrote this part, you was the one we had in mind for this part, which was, it was, it felt great because, you know, uh, a lot of time, you know, when, when movie writers write a movie, they already have people in mind of every, every part of, when they write this movie, they write, okay, this, this guy's going to play this part. People already have people in mind when they're writing a the movie. And it felt good to know that Eddie Murphy had me on his radar in the last few years. But how it really came about was, um, uh, I was watching TMZ, and I think TMZ ran into Akon, and um, TMZ said, hey, Akon, Eddie Murphy is doing Coming to America too. How do you feel about it? And Akon said, um, well, I love the idea. I just think he need to cast a few real Africans in this movie. And then um, TMZ runs into Eddie Murphy and said, hey, Akon says you cast a few Africans in Coming to America too, like real Africans in Coming to America too. How do you feel? Eddie Murphy out of his mouth said, well, I know one funny African, Michael Blackson, and he mentioned my name. So when he mentioned my name, I, I got the clip off of YouTube, sent it to my agent. I said, hey, listen, 
I'm not going to audition for this movie. I don't want to audition for this movie. These, Eddie already mentioned my name. Send this clip to the casting director. Let him know that Eddie wants me in this movie. So make this happen. And that's how it happened. How about that? That is pretty yeah. cool. And, and, and you sat there as a kid and loved that movie. That's amazing. I want to ask you because I, I heard Joel Embiid say that he learned how to shoot basketballs by watching YouTube videos. And I guess he searched watching white guys shoot the basketball. And to me, I always, <laughs> thought, that, I always thought that was the funniest thing. So did you ever do anything like that with stand-up or how to get on stage and actually come up with a, a stand-up oh. You know what? I, that's why I think till today, I think stand-up is a gift from God, you know, because I was, with me, it was more of what I, what I went through as a kid. I came to America at 13 years old. I talked different. I dressed different. I looked different. Kids made fun of me every day. You know, I didn't really get comfortable myself till I moved to Philadelphia. By the time I got to Philly, I'm like, okay, I've been around for about a couple of years now. I know what these kids expect. You know, and I know how to, like, I, I had to learn how to defend myself verbally because all kids do, all American kids do in school is roast each other all day, every day. So by the time I got to Philly, I kind of like knew how to defend myself. But the funny thing about how I defended myself, I defended myself with an accent. So I made a joke about a kid, but it had an accent with it. So it made him laugh. So my accent and the joke made a kid laugh. And, you know, um, and that was as close as I got to like practicing stand-up comedy was defending myself just as a regular person. And when, it, when my coworker approached me about taking it to the stage, I kind of like, you know, we wrote a little five-minute story a little bit and then we added a little bit of like a roast thing because what I noticed, especially my audience now, majority of my audience are like younger kids, like 10 years old to 21 years old. And all, anybody between us, age range like to just roast you. They just like to clown each other. So I learned that at an early age, you know, when I came to America. So when I, it was so much easier to put that into my act by the time I started stand up because I was already doing that in high school. Wow. And so when you're in coming to America and you're doing those scenes and you've mm -hmm. got Eddie Murphy, who really is one of the goats or the goat, um, it's kind of like a little kid growing up in Philly watching Allen Iverson play basketball. And then he yeah. is, on the bench, coming off the bench, or in the game with Allen Iverson. So how nervous were you in that moment to impress Eddie? Oh, definitely nervous as hell. You know, I was nervous, but uh, I had a talk with him on set, and um, like I, I read his script, and he said, Mike, we brought you on this for a purpose. Add your own to it. Add a couple of your own stuff to it. And I added my own, even though everything I added was edited out, because mine was just, it was, because, I think the director was trying to make me a serious person, you know, even though I don't think my fans were, are, are ready to take me serious, you know, so when I was doing my scene, I added a few things, you know, like, I remember this scene was like, I, I was pretty much introducing my leader, who was Wesley Snipes, right, so I go on, and, and my scene was to go, walk in, look real angry, put fear in Eddie Murphy, because I want him to fear my leader. You know, presenting the supreme leader of Nextoria, commander of our undefeated troops, killer of lions, tamer of elephants. So Eddie said, okay, Mike, add your own. So I started adding my own. Leader of the dark skin committee, the king of pop. And I started, man, I add a bunch of silly things. And I mean, when, whenever we was done shooting every scene, the whole, everybody on set just cracking the hell up. 
But the director is like, uh, we're not, we, we have to make this as serious as possible. You know, we have to put fear in Eddie's heart, so we're going to edit out the jokes. But besides all of that, man, it was so wonderful being right there, performing in front of the guy I looked up to my whole life as a comedian. Oh, come on. I mean, you had everybody laughing naturally. They should have kept that in. Yeah, um, they should have. Man, it was so much funny things I did. But it's all good. You get to see me live and see the real funniness uh, on tour. I'm, ba I'm back on tour. Thank goodness. We're back performing from human, human beings again. It feels yeah. good. Yeah, I got to tell you, I go to the Helium co uh, Comedy Club a lot. We saw each other at Michael Rubin's Super Bowl party. And I was right. going to come to you at Temple, I believe, Leah Chorus Center last April, yes. but the world shut down. So I think Philly is looking forward to seeing you live in person. And give me an idea of just how much it means to you when you got that first laugh from the kid in Philly. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're on stage, is it like oxygen to you getting those laughs? Oh, definitely, man. That's, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm not, I don't get drunk, I don't get high. Like me going on stage, when a crowd, when I had the crowd in the palm of my hand, that's my high. That's how, that's the best feeling in the world, man. I just did, I did New Jersey last week. I did a comedy club stretch factory last week. Did seven sold out shows. And four out of the seven, the crowd stood up. Like, I mean, they give me a stand ovation, you know? So when I get on that stage, man, it's like, comedy is like, you know, it's the feedback from the audience. But I go in there with so much energy. You know, I think, and, um, and I, I got all of that just, from, I, think, I think the place, being raised in Philly, made me a great comic. You know, not just from what I went through, but it's just something about Philadelphia bring the greatness out of people, you know. But um, going on that stage and that laughter is what pumps up my adrenaline and it makes me just want to go harder and harder and harder. Let me ask you this. When I watch performers, okay, you got athletes, right? And they're out yeah. there on the field. They've got a ball. They've got helmets on sometimes. Uh, and then I see musicians. They're up on a stage in front of 20,000 sometimes, but they've got their guitars. They've got their tool that they're working with. To me, I feel comedians, when you're on stage in front of an audience, it is just you and the audience. It's one on, well, one, on one, but the audience. How vulnerable is it? Do you think it's maybe the hardest and most challenging thing to do because of how personal it is with the audience? It is definitely. I mean, stand up is the it's gotta be the hardest entertainment of all time. It's just you by yourself. You have no one to no one to talk to, no one to look at. It's just you and that audience. And that's that's what makes stand up comedy great. That's how that's what makes somebody, you know, you think about the Richard Pryor and the Eddie Murphy, those guys who, you know, open the doors for us. Um, just being on that stage by yourself. I mean, it, it all, of course, all that comes, you know, I mean Great comic doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of steps, you know, to become successful. Um, and it's also, you know, things you've went through as a, as a kid. Like, I mean, most comics have been through so much as a kid. You know, real comics have went through, have a dark side, you know, um, regardless what it is. But I think being on that stage just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you pretty much have the crowd in the palm of your hand. You have them control. I mean, it's the best feeling in the world, which is you and the audience and a microphone. All right, so you know when you're killing it on stage, like when you have mm -hmm. the, the crowd in the palm of your hands, you've got rhythm. But right. has there ever been a time, and, and I've been to a couple shows where like a comedian comes out and the first joke, you can sense some uneasiness 
and inside it's got to be hurting like you know oh this is not going to go well tonight yes i mean we've you know all that should just happen maybe earlier in my in your career your career you know i'm at the point where um i've surpassed that now you know my audience come out they already think i'm the funniest man on earth so i have an edge you know, the, everything they've seen me do has always been funny. You go to my social media, you're gonna laugh. You go to YouTube and look me up, you're gonna laugh. You see me in the movie, it might be two, three minutes, but it will be the funniest two, three minutes of the movie. So I, I think my audience already, they already think I'm the funniest man on earth. So it just, now it's just up to me just to, to deliver. You know, so I, ha, I, I, I already have an edge and I'm, I'm at the, pretty much at the point where I can go wrong because they love me already. It's like going to see Michael Jackson. You know Michael Jackson, the greatest entertainer of all time. You're already prepared to be entertained. And I've had those, I probably had those moments maybe earlier in my career, you know, and that's pretty much switching audience. Like performing from New York and performing to Mississippi is two different audience, yeah. you know? So I've been doing it long enough and I've seen almost every different type of people to make adjustments. You know, if I'm in Mississippi and I know this joke is not working, I know I have to switch it up and, you know, to something. I know Mississippi, no disrespect to Mississippi while I'm keeping mentioning Mississippi, right? I'm just trying to go as far south as possible. Where they, are, they might not get a joke, they're more into a physical humor, you know, so I got to do more physical things without jokes that they have to do too much thinking about compared to New York. So... The, long, the longer you do it, the better you become and you learn how to make adjustments. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. My, my big question for you is... When you come over from Liberia and you wind up growing up in Philadelphia, uh, how did you learn to hate the Cowboys? Uh, let me see. I guess, you know what, it just became, I, I mean, I found out that everybody hates the Cowboys. I mean, you know, what made me hate them even more, I got into football in the early 90s, okay? Uh, I remember, I mean, everything. I remember, of course, Randall Cunningham was the first quarterback. Uh, when I came to, when I came to, you know, when I got into football, but Philadelphia was the first football team I got to love and got to, um, and got to learn how to, what football is all about. I learned football from watching the Eagles play. That was my team. And I remember those early nineties. I think what made me hate, learn to hate the Cowboys so much was 
how much they just they won so many championships back in that early 90s and how bad they made us look. And you just learn to hate them, you know. Uh, and they're pretty much the ones that I hated the most. It was so crazy because DC was like right down the street. So you couldn't really hate DC as much. You know, I didn't even understand why the hell was Dallas in our division They're in Texas, for heaven's sake. I never understood that. Like, why? How was the Cowboys in our division? And Arizona. Arizona used to be in the NFC East. They were. And when they, Arizona got out, I'm like, okay, they shouldn't be here. I'm like, why you left these Cowboys in here? You know? But I guess the rivalry was so strong that the league did not want to ruin it. And they had to yeah. leave them there. So I never understood why some Texas people are still in our division. I understood New York. I understood D.C., and of course, Philadelphia, I'm like, can you guys, I mean, can you find another team, Pittsburgh, can you put somebody else in here that we could, you know, that's down the street? How about, but we had no choice. We learned to hate Troy Aikman and Michael, and I've ran into Michael Irvin, and he's actually a fan. Like, he loved my work. And, you know, he has no idea how much I hated him for many years, you know? <laughs> uh, and, but then, of course, you know, and Giants was our rivalry, and DC, but, they had freaking Up Monk, who was such a nice guy, Mark Rippin, it just looked so innocent. I, I just couldn't, as much as we couldn't really, you know, we supposed to hate New York and Redskins, I didn't hate them as much as I hated the Cowboys. Cowboys yeah. just winning on the championship. I hated Emmitt Smith and the whole, the whole crew. I just wish they would just, just go to another division. You know, but that. we found a way, we found a way to, um, you know, to take over, I think, when McNabb came back, when we, we, we drafted McNabb, it became our division. I mean, you know, we took over then. You know, we never got a chance to win the Super Bowl. I, I don't think any team deserved that Super Bowl more than McNabb and his crew. I just felt so bad for those guys, so bad. Yeah, and then you were there in Minneapolis when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and I saw yeah. your video on the field. You were screaming. What was yes. that moment like for you? Oh, my goodness. It's like a chip off my shoulder, man. It's like, finally, we did it. You know, it's like, now, you know, let's go, let's try to, now, once you win it, once you had that feeling of being a champion, I mean, we were never champions, ever. I mean, Super Bowl champs. I know back in the 60s, they won the, the, the champion. They've never won a Super Bowl. It just felt so good. And we just didn't do it. We did it against the best team in the league, the team that beats everybody. You know, the, the team that beat us in 2004, was it three or four? Yep. In, three in Jacksonville. Yeah. I was there for that, you know. Um, so it felt good. No, not just do it, but do it against a great team, the greatest quarterback of all time. We did it. It was, I was, it was just our destiny, and I was glad. I was just – I was in the house. I, and, I mean, I would treasure that moment for the rest of my life. And when you first came to Philly, what was – what was the first team you got hooked to? Um, I, I pretty much became, Philly became, I became a fan of everything. I'm, I mean, I watched the flies. I, I came in the era of Eric, I came in the era of Eric Lindros, you know, and I was there, I, I remember the Detroit finals. You know, I didn't see the Flyers win anything. I didn't see the Sixers, but I was there when we drafted um, Iverson. Me and Iverson are very good friends. You know, uh, we weren't good friends then. I, we got to become friends kind of after we, we, after he retired, you know. But I, I saw, I mean, I saw what ups and downs. I saw the sixes when we had, you know, when we traded Charles Barkley. I'm like, 
I was there. We traded Charles Barkley and got nothing for Charles Barkley. We got Jeff Hunnishek and um, I was and and uh, I forgot Perry. I think. Yeah. Do you remember that? You was a, you was a, do you remember all of this? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. We here we are. We give our best player. We could have. We should have got there. We should have got there. A little point guard was it? Um, Johnson, Kevin Johnson. Remember him? Yeah, you're still angry about that trade, huh? I'm still angry. We should have got Kevin Johnson away from, from Phoenix. We gave him Charles Barkley and got nothing. We should have, we should have took as many things we get out of him. And, but then that just shows you that we let go of star because what happened? Charles Barkley in the NBA Finals against the Chicago Bulls, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you, seem to have, you seem to have the same passion about Philly sports that – Philly kids that started here as kids growing up. So did, did uh, you have passion inside of you coming to America or did Philly kind of bring that out of you? Uh, Philly brought it out of me. You know, my first stop, like I said, when I first came to the States, I mind you, I'm like 13 years old. I spent 13 and 14 years old. I was in Jersey. I didn't care about sports. You know, um, in fact, at that time, my favorite, well, my favorite color to today is green. Green is my favorite color. So we, Right now, I have, my, I have twin boys. My twin boys are 14 years old, okay? Um, they live in Pittsburgh, so they are Steelers fans, they Pirates fans, whatever. But from them being a kid from six years old, one of them likes red, one of them likes blue. So their second team is like 49ers and Cowboys. I'm like, what? You're because not doing this blue as a parent. Huh? You're not doing a good job as a parent. I'm like, what the heck? What? But you know what? I couldn't stop them from liking a certain colors. You know, of course they like their home team, Pittsburgh, but then those are their favorite colors. So they occasionally root for those teams because of the color. So when I came to the States, I moved to Jersey for some reason, not for some reason, my favorite color was green from, from being a kid. So when I, get, when I get to America, when I finally got a chance to look at sports, I would cheer for any team that was wearing green. So for some reason, I was cheering, at one point I was cheering for the Celtics. And then I also kind of like cheer for the Jets. You know, I had no clue what football was about. Oh man, you that know? was there. I was all confused, right? <laughs> then when I got to Philly, I finally got to Philly where I called home. And here it is, my team, my team wears green. I'm like, thank goodness. Not only is this my team, but they're wearing my favorite color. This is perfect now. Perfect. Automatically fell in love with them. Um, and then, of course, the Sixers. I'm trying to think, when did I go to the first Sixers game? Oh, my goodness. God. Oh, my goodness. I remember we had Mood Boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember the Mood Boat era. I remember actually, I remember those guys going to play one time, and I remember running to Mood Boat at the club, and we both been Africans and having a conversation and you know, talking about, you know, just coming from Africa. This is way back, like, 90 what? Uh, two, three, four, something like that, way before the Allen Iverson era. So, um, yes, Philadelphia just captured my whole attention. And, of course, and I'm the biggest Phillies fan than anyone. I mean, I cried when we lost, when Joe Carter hit that home run. Oh, man, that was my sister still. My sister still teased me to today. I was, like, 18 years old, cry, cry. And, I mean, what I like best – Believe it or not, one of my favorite sports is baseball, and I love the Phillies. And it's such, to me, baseball is such a relaxing sport. And I know, I'm not, not sure how many 
black kid out there would really say they love baseball. It's really not a black kid sport. But for some reason, man, that sport is so relaxing. It kind of reminds me of stand-up comedy because it's like one-on-one. One guy, going, you know what I mean? It's just him by himself to hit that ball. It's not like a football, basketball. You get a chance to pass the ball to other people. When you at, at that, when you're out there batting, it's just you by yourself. Yeah, and it's all about timing, right? Timing, timing. It's like, it's like comedy. You by yourself in the right timing to hit that ball, to hit that home run. You're exactly right. To wrap this up, I got a couple quick questions. So what I'm getting from you is when you came to Philadelphia, Philly really kind of molded you, made you tougher, brought out the passion, but also it was great training for you in the comedy world just because of the level of expectation? Definitely, man. Philly brought – you know, sometimes not, it's, not, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. Philly brought that out of me, man. It made me – stronger, tougher. Of course, growing up in Southwest Philly, which was not Upper Derby, it wasn't Yaden, it wasn't Sharon Hill, you know. Up Southwest was the hood, you know, so it made you tough, it made me street smart, you know, it made me a great comic to defend myself on the street verbally because all kids want to do is make fun of what you're wearing, how you look, how you talk, you know. And then, of course, the sports teams, I mean, we just, Philly as a whole, man, we just, it's just a tough city. It makes, it make. I mean, think about, look at all the great ones that came out of Philadelphia. Yep. All right, so, so, so that's a great way to wrap it up. I'm going to ask you to give me your Mount Rushmore of your favorite Philly athletes and your Mount Rushmore of comedians all time that affected you the most and you look up to and admire. Oh, goodness. All right, Philly athletes. Um, you know, uh, let, 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 let me start. I was, uh, goodness, specific. I, uh, Randall Cunningham, that's number one. First quarterback I watched play. So amazing. He could throw the ball, he could run the ball. I mean, he was, he, so many guys look up to him. I mean, that's Michael Vick. All those guys copied off of him, you know. Yep. Randall Cunningham was the beginning. He was the originator of a running quarterback. All right, so we'll go with that, and then let's go to another sport. And I gotta go. I gotta go. Of course, going back to football, I gotta go with. Um, I mean, the, the 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 team that gave me the Super Bowl championship. You know, uh, Nick Foles. I gotta give a shout out to Nick Foles. He was like this amazing, quiet guy. You didn't know what to expect from him, but then he won the most important games. He won those playoff games to get us and to get that Super Bowl championship. So I got to give Nick Foles, he will always have a part of history with Philadelphia sports. Winning us our first Super Bowl. Um, uh, let's go, of course, basketball, let's go to Allen Iverson. I mean, passion, heart. You know, this kid could have easily won the NBA championship by himself, you know? So nobody had a heart like Allen Iverson. Pound for pound. Pound for pound. And of course, with with with, with um, hockey, I go with Eric. I remember Eric Lindros. I mean, he, he pretty much took on the whole Flyers by himself, you know. Um, but he, he didn't get a chance to win it here. But you know, he did it. He had a great season, kept us in it, pennant every year. So shout out to Eric Lindros. Um, and then of course, I, I sat like I said, I cried way back in the day when. Um, Mitch Williams gave away that home run. And I'm going to fast forward to 2008, you know, when, um, oh, my God, when uh, Ryan Howard, we had Jimmy Rollins. Um, 
those guys all stepped through and gave us, gave me a, a baseball championship. Um, uh, I think that's, that's awesome. oh yeah, for better, of course, I think the greatest athlete of Philadelphia all time gotta be Dr. J. Julius Irvin, shout out to him. And the thing about, I didn't get the same play because I wasn't in the States, but you know, but I, when I got into basketball, I read a lot about him and I've been to the stadium and he's there all the time. He's mentoring our kids and he's making our players even greater. And nobody is cooler than Dr. J. All right, so nobody doing Dr. J. Finish, give me your top four comedians all time. Top four comedians all time. Eddie Murphy got to be number one uh, because I watched him I, when I came to America. Uh, of course, Come to America, my favorite movie of all time. Then, of course, Beverly Hill Cops 1 and 2. And then, of course, the greatest stand-up to me of all time, all raw and delirious. You know, I kind of missed the Richard Pryor era, but when I came, when I started doing stand-up, I started studying Richard Pryor. So Richard Pryor got to be number two for me. And then I got to go with uh, uh, number three got to be, you know, Dave Chappelle right now. Dave Chappelle is brave. Yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's fearless uh, and he's still giving out great specials, you know. So I got Dave Chappelle and, of course, another guy, too, that I, that I liked a lot that, you know, Chris Rock, you know, definitely one of my favorites. Those are my top four right now. So we got Richard Pryor. We got, we got Eddie Murphy first, Richard Pryor. We got Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock. And, of I mean, course, I think, I'm, I think I'm number five of all time. <laughs> There you go. Someday they will add room for you there. Hey, Michael Blackson, this was awesome. It was so great to get the feeling from you about how much Philly means to you. And I remember you saying you're coming home to Helium, which means to me you consider Philly your home. And that, oh, that's always. Definitely. Philly's always be my home, man. I, you know, um, I have a home there. I never, you know, I have, I have quite a few homes in Philly. I, have a, I build a house in Bear, Delaware. I have a house in Penrose Plaza. And I have two other properties in Southwest Philly where my brothers them live. Philly will always be number one, number one home. I'm home almost every month just to not, just to not lose that touch of Philadelphia. It's the greatest place to be in America. That's awesome. And you are coming back to the Helium Comedy Club, and they keep adding shows to so try to get out. Yes. and Check out Coming to America on Amazon Prime. Uh, really, really, really funny scene. But I want to get a copy of that outtake that you have when you had everybody rolling on the floor. Okay, definitely. I'll send it to you, man. <laughs> you got it. Thanks a lot for the time, Michael. Thanks for having me. Who am I? I'm the greatest. Who am I? I'm so flagrant. Hey!